Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Welcome to Sourcing Journal Radio. This podcast series is made possible by Alex Partners, a results-driven global consulting firm specializing in those, when it really matters, situations where how you respond to and take advantage of disruption will make or break the future of your company. The pandemic touched every part of the apparel business, from the global sourcing map to omni-channel realignment to the four-wall retail store itself. What was disrupted for the better? What will require a whole new paradigm shift? I'm Edward Hertzman, president and founder of Sourcing Journal. I am excited to present along with key executives at Alex Partners, a three-part podcast series that will address the findings of an extensive apparel business survey we conducted together entitled Fashion in Focus 2021, Investing in a Future Forged by Adversity. This survey report was gleaned from information provided by apparel and footwear industry executives on how their businesses have been impacted by the pandemic and what changes they have made to their operations to mitigate these disruptions. The full report will be published on sourcingjournal.com in the coming weeks and presented at the Sourcing Summit New York on October 19th. We hope this podcast series, along with the full report, will provide you and your team information that will help you build stronger and more resilient businesses leading into 2022. Thank you for tuning in. Transportation woes, rising inflation, geopolitical issues, environmental risks. These are just a few of the disruptions exerting pressure on apparel supply and retail today. To navigate these mounting challenges, companies must enhance agility adopt risk mitigation strategies, and shore up their supplier partnerships. In part one of this series, we'll be discussing the state of supply chains and sourcing with Merle Goki, Managing Director at Alex Partners, who leads the company's apparel fashion services as part of the retail practice. Welcome, Merle. This report, 2021, Alex Partners and Sourcing Journal's Fashion in Focus, was really many years in the making. Sourcing Journal and Alex Partners have been talking about partnering on a project like this for several years, and now we're finally co-launching this research at a truly critical moment in our industry. Murley, could you speak about how this report came about and why the topics covered today in this research are so crucial for the fashion industry? Hey, Eddie. We have known each other a long time. We not only share our passion for the apparel value chain, but also like-minded in speaking about real challenges faced by the industry and how to address it pragmatically. The apparel industry has evolved quite a bit in the last 20 years, I would say. The pandemic, as you pointed out, has assured in a whole set of new challenges and changes. The timing, in my mind, couldn't have been more perfect to launch a study and hit on real challenges and real solutions. So, Merle, unfortunately, uh, there is no lack of uh, challenges our industry is, is facing today. Um, I would say 
at, at the top of that list for, for many retailers is the shipping and transportation costs and how those have gone way, way up. And to top it off and make it even worse, there's widespread uh, and significant delays happening at almost every port. What is going on and how can retailers confront this right now? Eddie, this is the biggest issue that most, if not all, retailers are losing sleep over. Let me summarize it. Costs have gone up 8 to 10 times more than historical averages, largely driven by a lack of capacity. There are container shortages, labor shortages, port congestions, and trucking shortages, all creating quite a bit of bottleneck in the logistics. Right now, the mantra is being prepared to overpay. And be prepared to double and triple check that you still have the transportation mode that you thought you booked. New capacity expansions are in the works for sure, but we see this challenge to be persistent through 2022, and some actually believe that relief may not come in until 2023. Nevertheless, we do think retailers can be proactive and take actions to protect themselves for the holidays. First, retailers need to establish a near real-time visibility to where the product is and at what stage it is. This information should be made available to all people in the organization that we believe are involved in getting the product to the shelf. Second, retailers and brands need to recognize that not all products are equal. Be flexible to prioritize must-haves versus nice-to-haves and be able to take those prioritization decisions at the origin before the product leaves the factory. Lastly, there are also other changes that retailers can pursue. It's not uncommon for retailers to use the spot market to make last-minute booking. In in general, this has proven to be cheaper in the past. Uh, Right now, what we would recommend is to, for retailers, lock in contracts, even, even though they might seem like at a higher rate. A surety around your logistics is more important right now than costs. I couldn't agree more, Murley. And and from everything that I'm hearing, I I second your your opinion that these challenges are going to persist throughout 2022, potentially into 2023. Good news right now could be maybe uh, seeing these costs start to flatten, but I really don't see much in the terms of cost relief. And I think we have some some way before we're going to see. Uh, supply of these containers and um, congestion really uh, softening. So I definitely think this is a challenge that people have to plan for for the foreseeable future. Another hot topic, uh, which you know predates the pandemic, but I think again was accelerated during the pandemic, is diversifying uh, production, especially to reduce risk. Um, is this a big lesson that you think that came out of the pandemic, and are you seeing this this? Uh, conversation accelerated because of the of COVID and its repercussions. Eddie, the apparel garment industry has a history of chasing cheap labor across the globe. Early on, labor cost was the biggest cost differentiator. So if you put aside geopolitical stability, the search for cheap labor was often limited by transportation and energy infrastructure. Countries that understood it early on, like China, gained an abnormal share of fashion manufacturing. Diversification took a different twist and gained importance as costs in China were going up, either due to rising labor costs or tariffs. Today, stability, reliability, flexibility, and sustainability are gaining more importance. 
we think retailers need to factor in all these parameters in their diversification strategy and make sure they set the right balance to their footprint in addition to cost. Murley, has the recent disruption made nearshoring and onshoring more attractive than before? How are you advising your clients in this area? For some products, yes. Basic t-shirts, denim, and jerseys are good examples where there are viable nearshoring or or even made-in-the-USA options. But for many other categories, we seriously lack the infrastructure and supporting industries to be able to ramp up production. So, and therefore, it doesn't appear to be a a viable option in many categories. Do you think that in the past, the there was a perception of it being more expensive to work in Peru or to work in Mexico or to work close to home, even with the duty-free benefit. But now people have to, I mean, you said earlier in the conversation, people have to stop chasing the cheapest needle. But now if you take into consideration uh, freight and logistical costs, also time that it takes to transport, um, and you consider lost sales or the inability to chase product, is this... Should be people, should companies be in, investing in even those basic categories? Should there be more investment being made in this? Because it's actually may not be more expensive. It actually may be cheaper, and you may see it also may be uh, your one of the few ways you could you could have a a, a chase business right now. Uh, certainly, Eddie, and uh, you know as I mentioned, there are definitely viable categories uh, for nearshoring and made in the USA. But in many other cases, uh, we just don't have the supporting industries. And investment is going to follow demand, not the other way. So let's talk about another painful word right now, inflation. With inflation at all-time highs, retailers are both worried about how it may affect consumer spending, passing costs on to their consumers. How does this impact that strategy? Or, or is, is this changing how, how and where people source their products and, and also how they price their products? Yeah, inflation is hitting everywhere, Eddie. It is hitting in apparel, uh, like in, in many other industries, but not quite as bad in apparel as we see in, for example, the auto industry, where um, metal steel prices have gone up by 50, 100, 200% or more. We believe most of the inflationary impact on apparel has already been factored into the cost of goods into the last three, six months. With pent-up consumer demand leading into the holidays, we think that retailers should strongly consider restraining from being promotional and even consider passing on at least a portion of the cost to the customers. If you look at the, the long-term apparel price index, after decades of deflationary trend, we're actually seeing a slight uptick in the apparel price index. The question is, how long is this demand going to be able to sustain? So we recommend retailers take a look at 2022 in terms of how they should be able to mitigate some of these costs by means of efficiencies elsewhere. You know, I think it's also... You know, uh, the topic of inflation, it, it's difficult to, to generalize, right? You know, I was having a conversation the other night with, uh, with a gentleman. He runs a sizable wholesale business, but he's, he's in the pr- very promotional side of the market. So when he's shipping eight 9,000 Sherpa fleece and he gets hit with a $25,000 container price and those fleece now have a $2 plus increase in cost, he that's more than he could actually he that's more than his entire margin when he was selling that to to his retail partner so in that category he's out you know he's just doing it to facilitate and, and maintain a relationship 
On the flip side, if you're selling a $2,000 boot and you got to add a few dollars to it, you're probably not impacted the same way. You know, how many chairs you're fitting in a container is very different than, you know, how many, how many polo shirts you may be able to put in there. So I think it's retailer by retailer, price point by price point, category by category. And another interesting thing, you know, I know we started talking about logistics earlier, is that when we talk about logistics and inflation, we typically are only talking about the containers and, and, the, and the shipping and the, and the air freight. But we're seeing a lot of problems with trucking right now. And one of the things that companies are not talking a lot about is that at warehousing, they're having issues with workers, payroll there. So we're seeing costs of goods from the entire supply chain being impacted from the raw materials all the way down to the the person that's picking, packing that garment, you know, before it leaves the DC. So I think these challenges are going to persist all over the place. I couldn't agree more, Eddie. The, The thing here is that inflation is not selective. It is hitting everyone. So this has the potential of bringing in operational weaknesses in select companies, and they really have to pay attention to how they can improve their operations so that they are at par with the rest of their competition. So the supplier-retailer relationship has always been a critical one for our industry, but it has never been more important for these two groups to coordinate and communicate with each other than now. I mean, we really saw this relationship be tested and fractured during COVID. How can these partnerships be made stronger and mutually beneficial? It's a great question, Eddie. I would say there are two things to consider here. First is the nature of relationship. If you ask retailers and brands, many of them would say that they have really good supplier relationship. But if you dig deeper, you'd find the relationship to a large extent being defined by a good understanding of give and take. We believe that needs to evolve. True partnership requires almost treating the relationship as a joint venture. This means you share more information freely, you conduct joint business planning activities, and have your business processes that are more integrated and be able to pursue collaborative initiatives to improve the efficiencies. Now, the challenge here is that many retailers and brands have more than 100, sometimes 200 suppliers. So being able to define what is your supplier strategy and being able to identify who the right partner is, is as important as to how you define the relationship. Secondly, the apparel value chain is much more complex than many people realize. When we speak about suppliers, most often it implies the finished goods suppliers. But in reality, you have the fabric mills, you have the trim suppliers, you have the logistics service providers, and, and many more. And so partnership requires treating all of these suppliers also as critical to your value chain and develop the same level of relationship and partnership. So another interesting, I want to say, service or industry that has come out of the pandemic uh, has been virtual product reviews and prototyping. Not new because of the pandemic, but again, I think it was accelerated. You know, people couldn't visit factories, people couldn't touch the product. So we had to rely on technology to really get us through this. But the question is, are they here to stay? You know, it reduced cost. It reduced the amount of time it took to approve samples. So there's a lot of positives here. But how can both parties increase trust in each other to make this not just a, you know, a fad, but a, but a long-term viable business strategy? And do you think it's possible to vet new business partners virtually? You know, is this a sustainable solution for the future? 
Yeah, I mean, this is one area where we have seen significant shift in attitudes towards adoption of digital tools. In, in many cases, designers and product teams have been forced to adopt them, and we are actually surprisingly seeing a good amount of success in, uh, in leveraging virtual design and virtual reviews and prototyping. So we, we, we think that this trend will continue. May, perhaps it will scale back. May, it may scale back a bit. Uh, but we believe that this is this is a permanent shift in how we develop product. You asked about uh, can you vet partners virtually? That's an interesting question. The challenge is that, as you are aware, you know the apparel industry in many cases are in regions and locations where there is not as much sophistication as it comes to manufacturing excellence, labor practices, and trading the environment. So. Bidding out a partner, many cases, requires retailers and brands to visit the factory and make sure all of these are addressed and meet the expectation of the brand and, and retailer. And therefore, I don't think virtually bidding out a partner is, is viable unless there be established standards in the industry that everybody is fully satisfied with. And I believe we are not quite there yet. So you see virtual prototyping, virtual sampling, that that scaling in a meaningful way. But it, as it relates to on-the-ground audits, inspections, onboarding factories, especially when it comes to figuring out compliance and sustainability requirements, this is something that really is going to be hard to replace, at least in the short term, with a, with a virtual option. Yeah, I believe so. Even in terms of like virtual um, product design, you know, a, a large extent of uh, innovation and apparel is happening in terms of touch and feel of the fabric and the garment. So virtual design is definitely viable as long as the, the parameters of what the touch and feel has already been established. So I don't see, it, even for designing, it's going to be a 100% solution, You, it, but it is definitely going to be a much larger share than what it was before. Yeah, I think this is one of the, the cases where we can't we can't talk in extremes. I think it's a complement to the, the business. I think it uh, makes things more agile. It makes the ability to design and react quicker. Maybe we don't need 45 DHL packages uh, coming in and out of the office, but nothing's going to replace the touch and feel of a fabric. And nothing's going to replace visiting a factory and being inspired and 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 seeing what's what, what's available out there, and innovating with your mill and you know your your factory partners. So uh, I agree a hundred percent. It's just one of the natures of of our industry, right? That is correct. You know, it goes back to the the partnership we discussed. There's the right balance, and the balance is shifting towards the right direction, which is more adoption of digital tools. Mm -hmm. I agree. So when you're working with a, a retailer or a brand, and uh, perhaps they haven't started using some of the digital tools that are out there for, you know, virtual reviews and whatnot. Where do you tell them to start? You know, it's so overwhelming, you know, being in the media space, I get a thousand press releases a day from so many companies that I may or may not even know. What's the starting point here? Is there trusted trusted partners that you rely on and that you go to? You know, there, there are many solutions out there that support virtual reviews and with increased demand, we can expect the toolkits and the offering to expand as well. Uh, Chloe and Browseware are emerging as popular platforms for virtual apparel design and development. But if you take a step back, Eddie, you know, th there's not been a, a lack of investment in tools and sophistication, but more uh, a lack of adopting the business processes in terms of utilizing those tools uh, and systems. So if you ask 
where we would recommend the retailer to start with is to look at what they were already invested in and do an evaluation in terms of are they fully utilizing all the functionality and features and how they should adopt their business processes in order to do that. Merle, executives in the business are expecting geopolitical and maybe environmental issues becoming a bigger concern, whether it's wildfires or flooding. Um, what's the best way for retailers to prepare for a supply side disruption that's out of their control, but, but still coming? Yeah, Eddie, we have discussed the relevance of diversity or diversification as a risk mitigation strategy. I would categorize supplier partnership also as a risk mitigation strategy where you can get a heads up to potential disruption the more closer you are to your supplier. In addition to that, I believe companies have to start thinking about developing their own contingency plans and risk mitigation playbooks. These need to be institutionalized. They cannot. They no longer have the luxury of, of waiting for an event to happen and then put their best brains in a room and think through a solution. Risk mitigation playbook should be as much integrated into their sourcing strategy as anything else. So, Merle, let's talk about sustainability for a moment. Um, it's, it's a big topic. Um, I was very concerned at the start of the pandemic uh, when everyone was cutting, that this was going to be one of the first things to go. Um, it, I, it appears that that's not the case. Brands are still committed to this. But has the pandemic changed priorities at all f- for the apparel and footwear you know, industries in terms of their investments? Have you seen consumer appetite change at all as it pertains to sustainability? You know, what's next? What's the next chapter for uh, for sustainability as a whole? The pandemic has surely increased the awareness for sustainability and genuine concern for the environment among many. In a recent study by Alex Partners, we found more than 60% of respondents say that they care about the environment more, but only a third of them said they changed their purchasing behavior to reflect that. We know that sustainability is not does not come free. And as you rightly said, many apparel retail companies have pledged their support for sustainability, but there is still a, a cost to deliver it. And we are estimating that to be about 18 to 20% for a basic product. Now, can the retailer expect their consumers to pick up that increase in cost? No. Does that mean that that is not something a retailer should be pursuing? The answer is no again, because we see the shift to be continuing to happen where you would find that four or five years now, sustainability would be a big factor in a consumer's decision. And you don't want to wait four or five years to change your sourcing strategy and you change your product development strategy in order for you to be able to meet the consumer demand at the time. Retailers need to start now in order to prepare themselves for what is going to come eventually. I couldn't agree more. I think there's there's a few key points here. Consumer demand is there. I think it's more vocal and probably more real with uh, the Gen Zs than maybe the baby boomers. They, they, de- they definitely vote with their values and are quite quick to be vocal about the brands I want to align with and also the brands they want to cancel. I, I definitely agree with you. I use the analogy at times of like e-commerce and omni-channel. You know, people always said, oh, it's going to be 10, 15% of our business. We only need to invest X. Well, 
we all saw what happened is that if you didn't have a robust DTC strategy and omni-channel strategy coming into the pandemic, you were really way, way behind. And now it's going to be just an, an increasingly amount of your volume is going to be, you know, direct to consumer. So just, I think you, you said it very well, is that if you're not investing in a sustainable strategy, you're going to be left behind. It may not be 2022. It may not even be 2023, but you're going to wake up someday and you will be the tower records of the apparel industry because this is going to be mission critical. I think the other thing to think about is we're seeing very aggressive uh, 2025 and 2030 commitments being made by these organizations. And the big question is, how are they going to live up to these commitments that they're making? You know, is circularity scalable? How are they really going to trace their supply chain? How are they going to reduce water consumption? How are they going to reduce their carbon footprint? So they're out there. They're making big public statements like they've never made before. So they're going to have to have a supply chain to match this because the consumers are more are scrutinizing these companies like they've never have. And the brands and retailers are putting themselves out there by making these public statements. So I think this is a, this is a category uh, that we're going to have to continue to watch. And I think it's going to be a defining point of differentiation for brands moving forward. Couldn't agree more. So Morley, I feel like you and I could sit here for, for days and talk. I'm really excited. For those that don't know, you'll be joining me on October 19th at our summit. We're going to be talking more about this research that we conducted. I know we're going to be doing more of these podcasts, so a lot more to come from Alex Partners and Sourcing Journal on this study. But thank you for your time today, and I look forward to speaking again very soon. Thank you, Eddie. It's been a great collaboration, and I'm very excited for the summit and looking forward to it. Thank you. Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.